Welcome to Teachers Talk Texts, the podcast where English teachers share their insights and interpretations of texts currently studied in BCE English. I'm your host, Claire Mackey. Let's dive into today's episode. In the spirit of reconciliation, Teachers Talk Texts acknowledges the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea and community. We pay our respect to their elders, past and present, and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples today. In today's episode, I'm joined by Melinda Kite to discuss Nine Days by Tony Jordan. This conversation has been a long time coming, as is always the way with busy English teachers. What I loved about it, though, was that Melinda's perspective of the novel subtly shifted my own ideas and made me reflect and question my own reading of the novel. This conversation is broad-ranging and examines some of the core ideas of the text, that of class and gender and the changing landscapes of the Australian experience. I hope you enjoy this episode as much as I enjoyed recording it, and if you do get something out of it, I would love for you to buy me a virtual coffee. Jump onto Instagram at Teachers Talk Texts, and the link is in my bio. Melinda, thank you so much for joining me on Teachers Talk Texts. Thanks, Claire. I'm really glad to be here. Well, yes, it's um, I, it's my second episode back after a bit of a hiatus, so very, very pleased to be here and really pleased to be talking about Nine Days by Tony Jordan again. I have already recorded an episode, I think one on this text, but it's so rich and so has such depth that there's so much to talk about, so I have no doubt we'll go in really interesting and new directions in this conversation. Yep. But I'll throw you my very first question, which is, what did you love about the text? Okay, well, it's a few things. I absolutely loved reading a text where you have walked a street many, 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 many times. And the reason I've walked Rowena Parade, which is the main street in, well, one, it's the main area in which every one of the characters goes to at some point, even the characters that are fourth generation in, in the in the whole scheme of things over the 60 years, they all go end up in Rowena Parade. And I think it was in the 90s, a really good friend, actually two sets of friends of mine lived in Rowena Parade. And what I discovered as I was reading Tony Jordan's novel is that some of, some of the historical references to things like stables, I could then connect that to my personal life and my friends because they actually lived in converted stables. Whether they're, they're the same converted stables mm. that, are, that are appear in the novel, that's not, I can't prove that, I don't know. But, yes, it had walked past a lot of the iconic buildings, the London Tavern, used to walk through the church, through St Ignatius all the time, and so when I was teaching the text, it was very alive to me. And that makes it all the more joyous to teach a text. And the last time I'd had that experience was actually teaching Robert Newton's The Runner. It's also set in Richmond, but sort of around the whole story about Squizzy Taylor and Charlie Fian, a boy who's a runner who ends up sort of unfortunately getting catching the eye of Squizzy. So that's why I love it. And then I loved the writing. 
the characterization, the way that Jordan traverses all these incredible points of view, perspectives, views and values, social milieus, milieu, milieus, over the 60-year period, and also the feminist aspects to it. I think mm. there's a real sort of uncovering of emancipation of women in the two characters that have babies, is it 30 to 40 years apart, 30 years apart. So that's why I loved it. There's so much there to unpack. I think I totally agree with you that reading a text where you can visualise yourself, the setting, it's, it's I mean, I, I don't want to say it's not necessarily unique for us or rare even for us as readers, but it's really nice to see some Australian text set in Melbourne being put on our year 12 text list. I think that's really fantastic. And also that students can, if they want to jump on the train, head into Richmond and, and walk those streets and try and, and get a feeling. Because I think setting, my understanding is setting is incredibly important for Jordan's novel for all the reasons you mentioned before in that all the characters have some sort of interaction with Rowena Parade and within with that house. Did you do much work on that with your students, the significance of the house and the moving in in and out of that house and what Jordan might be seeking to do there? Well, yes. I mean, we, we definitely focused on the house, but we also focused a lot on the a lot on the quotes that the characters say about half, how far up the hill they are and therefore where they are in the social strata at that period of time where Jean Westaway is constantly saying, well, we're halfway up the hill. This is a significant way of thinking about where the house is and where they live in terms of in terms of where people, working people of, Rich, of Richmond had lived before. In the 20s and 30s, they were practically starving. Mm. And so there's an ambition there, and but there's also a craving to be acknowledged, to do the right thing, to educate your children respect, um, respectably, and mm. there's a whole quest to be respectable. Mm. So the locus of the house is symbolic for many 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 reasons it's yeah. a place of love it's a place of gathering it's also a place of destruction it's a place of terror for connie it is mm. a place of disappointment grief and anger for jean when she loses her husband it impacts it impacts all the characters because in the generations and how the generations of parents relating to their children in that house it creates a legacy that then has an impact on other generations. Indeed, indeed. And I think as you read through the novel, that becomes clearer and clearer through to the, well, the penultimate chapter. I think Alex's chapter is the second last yes. one. And, I mean, I'm hoping the students listening to this podcast have already read the whole novel, so it's okay if we do skip to the end to talk. Because I think sometimes when we're teaching a text, I don't know about you, but you can't teach this text necessarily in the order that you read it because yeah. its structure is so significant. And what Jordan's done in taking one day or one moment or one, one snapshot vignette of these nine different people in the same family, but such clever mm. vignettes I think is really, really fantastic. Would you usually start at the end or where would you jump in with your when you were teaching it? When you are teaching it? Well, it works a little bit differently at our school because we taught a cohort and then we sort of split it up between 
lots of different teachers. So I taught a particular section, if you like. It's really interesting. Can you tell me more about that? I've not heard that before. Yeah. So what that means is during the pandemic, obviously a lot of teaching went online. And so I was already working in a very, very strong, a school with a strong online presence and it already was very confident and it wasn't a stopgap or a band-aid. So what that means is, is that the Year 12 and teachers get together and they, they all have a go at teaching the cohort over a six to eight month period. And then it cycles through a couple of times, so each semester. And you have one person who is, who is moderating, chat, questions, like intersections, doing, making opportunities for collaboration, making opportunities for students not just to be sort of sitting there, as it were, in a chalk and talk or a direct, direct instruction way receiving information it's all very participatory and there's breakout rooms and you sort of I mean everyone knows about this sort of software now but back when we started it was particularly helpful to me to go okay I'm going to be dealing with Charlotte and then I'm going to be dealing with Alec because Alec and Charlotte Charlotte is Alec's mum and Charlotte has this kind of layabout if you like dude musician partner who decides to rack off to, to Mullumbimby and be a rock and roll dude and isn't interested in being a dad particularly and that leaves Alec vulnerable to bullying and it also is interesting as a chapter right near the end when you're talking about the difference between the two women who have children in the in the novel and how because of the social times that they live in they experience their pregnancies. It's also interesting to see Alec as a young man who speaks to the students, who speaks kind of like the students in their idiom, if you like. Sure, he's not a text speaker. Yeah. He's not texting all the time, but he, he has phrases and he has language that sort of appeals to the to the to the VCE students. And so yeah. when the VCE students are really bored or going, oh, this doesn't relate, or oh, it's so old fashioned. You can quickly like get them sort of engaged by going to Alex's story and going, "Hey, this is a story that could be any one of you." Absolutely, and we—I mean, listen—I say we've all because we have been teenagers too, but felt that experience of peer pressure and that pull between one's family and one's friends, and that feeling that it's maybe a little bit uncool to be going over to your grandma and grandpa's house and be helping them out. That the cool kids in school might not think that's a good thing to be doing, but that, I mean, fundamentally it's, I mean, there's maybe a little bit of a basic analysis, but it's his family who saves him. That's, I think, that family that has been built up over generations and even though all those mistakes have been made and even though I think Jean would maybe feel a sense of fail, failure when she, with, with, with what happened with Kip and Francis, what happened with Connie, we see in a couple of generations later that what it was that she was trying to so desperately to instill in her family has maybe paid off most definitely and yeah. I, I think that's also the influence of Stanzi I think this yeah. ironic this sort of the cynical sister aunt to Alec who lives with Charlotte and Alec mm. is a parental figure and there's a line in there's a line in Alec's chapter where he says he lacks imagination because why else would she live here but actually what's happened is she has divested herself of that by that time of the need to find the kind of love that her parents have that she feels she could never replicate in her own life. 
mm-hmm. and has has I mean everyone choose and, and has been able to choose her own family by staying and supporting her sister that she was very much you're a hippie and you're crazy and you're waving pendants over your pregnant tummy and my god let me get you a pregnancy test what do you think yeah. and so <laughs> I think what's really beautiful about what you're talking about too is yes the values that are the values of integrity and that strong sense of family commitment that be mm. in in the earlier chapters and you you see that Francis Westaway is not does not take that on and is not honorable no. right whereas and so you you get to this point where Alec actually does what he he actually in one particular moment makes a choice makes a decision that saves his life mm. And it, it looked for a moment, you're sitting on the edge of your seat going, oh, no, please don't get in that car with your friends. I still get tingles. Like, even you saying it then, that feeling and experience of reading it yeah. and wishing so desperately for the happy ending, which I'm so glad that Jordan gave us because authors won't not, well, not always for to make a point. I was, and there's enough sadness, I think, in the final chapter. I think if she'd had sadness in Alex's chapter and Connie's. Definitely, there's a lot of pathos. The denouement, as you say, mm. is really, really sad and, and tragic. But also, I love the way that Alex chapter wraps up all the symbolism of of the photograph and Fine. and the chilling and mm. finding the photograph, etc. And so, what that means is for a child, for a character without a father present in his life, he suddenly is gets all this knowledge and information that ties his whole family together and makes it seem impenetrable, inviolable, mm. like strong, tough, and what families should be, like not just what we see in ads or perfect sitcoms, but what families should be and those values that are so strongly embedded in the earlier generations are now coming to the fore and making making kids like Alec really great people. Which is what we hope for, I think, or like any parent hopes for that. As you were talking about Stansy then, I just, a thought occurred to me, this, this act of hers and coming back to your comment about the feminist reading of this text, which I think is really strong. And I very much enjoy that decision that she makes to live with her sister and to build her own family and to opt for something that isn't that nuclear family, traditional following what inverted commas everyone else everyone else does that's an incredibly feminist act i think and it's only just occurred to me occurred to me that that is what she's doing i've often found her chapter a little bit that it, not that it's it doesn't fit but it does it doesn't fit maybe as neatly as some of the others because it is a very personal quandary I mean, I know that it sets up the shilling, the coin, yes. but the whole experience with Alice that she that she's counselling and the pizza. Violet. Violet. Is yeah. that her name? Oh, Violet, not Alice. Gosh, anyway. Yes. You can tell as many books in my head. There'll be somewhere else. Oh, another book with Alice. <laughs> but whoever she's counselling, yeah. I often found that. And granted, I haven't ever taught this text. I've tutored it, but not taught it, which I think is different. You, you take a different approach because, yeah, for, for a number of reasons. But it's I really like that comment that you made, I think that's, I, I feel like I've, she's shifted in my head about where she sits in this text. Yeah, it's definitely a choice. I think also it's a gift that she gives to her sister. Like obviously, yeah. obviously um, Charlotte's got not, not got any money. She worked in a health food shop and she was hanging around with Craig 
And Craig's the cynic who's commenting on all the customers coming into the health food shop being, uh, he's just he's just really negative. Mm. And But she sort of like goes for the rock and roll dude and then she sort of left as this very optimistic, I think Alec calls her like a full-blown hippie and like says all these sort of negative things about her optimism And Stansy, her sister is very, very, very critical of her, but then sort of like actually finds a way to make herself useful, Mm. finds finds a way to make herself needed and wanted when she can't really find that for herself. No. Because her counselling that girl who's very wealthy and who complains to her father in front of Stansy when Stansy goes over saying, to her saying, I think you've stolen th- th- this thing from my room, my shil- the shilling, is I really don't like being counselled by someone who's fat dad in front of Stansy. And you, you can, t- like it hits home because there's a point later where her parents, she's 35 years old, and her parents are saying, do you want us to go around there and like talk to them? Like her mother's yes. saying, do you want me to sort her out? And that's Deep down inside, yes, Stancy is like looking for purpose, looking for meaning, looking for. So she actually, it's it's two things that she does. It's it's creating a life for herself where she doesn't have to have have to live by anybody else's rules. Mm. There's some supposition, some sort of guesswork from other students in Alex's chapter where he's being thought of as the child of two lesbians, and he's and instead of yeah. mum and aunt, right? So. And that, and this, this sort of the way that Jordan characterizes people's assumptions, judgments, and so on, l- like leads us back into thinking more deeply about the characters, even if their chapter didn't spell everything out, or yes. did, or didn't really round everything out as well as it might have. There's still questions about Stansy at the end. Who is she, who is she going to be? Who is she going to have a relationship with? Is she ever going to have a relationship? Mm. Uh, but I think what I like about it is she's seen that actually she can have her life on her own terms if she does this. And at the same time, she is almost like a better parent to Alec, he says. Yeah. She doesn't hassle me. She sees he's she sees me. Whereas mum's always like wants Alec to be more like she is. And there's an element. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. An element as well of an it's hard to say if it's echoing maybe or foreshadowing because of the structure, depending if you think about it as a chronological tale or in the structure or the, the order that Jordan does it of her namesake, Connie and Stansy. So I think when students work that out, that the I think both their names are Constance yes. and Stansy or Connie, depending on how you make a nickname out of it, who was not able to live her life on her own terms, who was because of the social structures of the time and the fears of her mother, who was denied, denied that. And and she should have had her love with Jack. It's so unfair and so tragic in, in the true sense of the, ter- of, of the word, yeah. uh, but that her niece... Connie's niece is is afforded that that privilege is significant I think from that's what I think Jordan's telling us we have come some way we're not there yet but we have come come some oh, way I, I agree and there's definitely an authorial intent there to demonstrate and show that once upon a time society dictated what women could or couldn't do including including the fact not not even not just being able to have a child out of wedlock 
But Jean Westaway goes some way to explaining in that chapter, in her own chapter, that you wouldn't even be able to find a decent fella even if you manage to adopt it out. Mm. So there's there's a lot in there about values that have changed so really, really significantly. And I think what, what Jordan wants to, to show us is that, and certainly this is an interesting thing when you've got students who feel very empowered, they have social media, they can say what they think, they can express their opinions, their views, nobody's holding them back. Mm-hmm that once upon a time you really couldn't and that, that the and that the gossip mill the gossip mill in that street in those slums in those areas halfway up the hill for Jane Westaway is halfway away from the slums mm. from poverty from from free, being freezing cold mm. from not being able to put food on the table and so you've got this you've got this awful chapter that ends in Connie's in Connie's death because Jane cannot accept that if she allows her to keep her, if she allows her daughter to keep her child, the family won't be ruined. And, and in fact, it, Connie dying is a better. This is terrible, but it's a better outcome for the family. It is than her having that baby. Yeah, it is yeah. because it would have brought shame on the family forever. Mm. And you can just see that it's it's Jean's last thread. Jean Westaway, Connie's mum's last thread of hope after her husband dies tom dies is basically keeping the family together and that staunch value of i will have my boys educated i will get them to church i will make a make a home and even if i have to take in a border yeah i'm going to make this happen in over in the process she becomes bitter and and very unhappy mm. but you're absolutely right and so jordan's showing us that also, as a feminist reading, that even though Charlotte can freely have her child in the 90s and Alec grows up to be fine, and there's still consequences, though. Mm. There's still, he still struggles with his identity. And I think what is beautiful about Stansy living with them is Stansy adds, she's like a pillar, a fa- another family pillar for him, and he, she is very much standing in for the father, for the absent. Yeah. And yeah. Jordan's, like, basically lighting up the the stage for us to see that not all families have to be nuclear families with a mum a dad and two kids right they families are made up in different ways Mm. and all of them are valuable though you just use the phrase absent father and it's interesting there are a number of what I would call absent fathers through the text as well Mm. in I mean for a range of reasons you've got and now I've forgotten his name is it Tom Westaway the father Yes. Yeah, so Tom Westaway, who is he hit by a tram? Yes. And is he drunk when he's hit by a tram? Yeah. Yeah, drunk and hit by a tram. Mm. Yeah. So, all I mean. Men, all the men are at the pub and then I imagine that six o'clock closing would have happened mm-hmm. and then they either go home to drink more mm-hmm. if they're depressed and if they're not having a good time or, yes, and he dies tragically. Tragically. And, I mean, there's 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 quite a bit to unpack there as well you've got the social like the socio-cultural component in in I guess what was expected under the infemininity in turn of the century Melbourne uh, and and the drinking culture that there was a reason that the pubs all closed at six o'clock because the men were in there drinking from from the point that they knocked off work 
And what was drinking about? Drinking was about squashing your feelings down. Drinking was dealing with emotion. Drinking was about if I don't have enough money to bring home Mm -hmm. or if I'm unhappy in my home or something disappointing has happened, I'll go to the pub and drink with the fellas. Mm. And it was all unconscious. There's no therapy. There's no discussion. There's no discussion of feelings. No. None of that going on other than do you want a cup of tea, love? Yeah. So so it's a social ill and it is very much part of the Australian fabric of our society and Jordan is very, very specifically putting it in to make us look at that. And I think she she does, there, there's criticism there. It's not smack in your face, but I suppose also if you combine Tom's untimely death with Annabelle's father and his yeah. behaviour, the two together show some some criticism. I, mean, I think Annabelle's father is he's a pitiable character. You, you do feel, I do feel some empathy for him, but not maybe half an inch. I'll give him half an inch because really he needs to just stop drinking and start helping his daughter because you can't just crumble. Also makes comments like you're going to leave me or indicates, <laughs> he, he intimates, well, you're just going to leave me sort of thing. And really in that time period, your only hope of getting out of an unhappy situation like that. So Annabelle is confined to the home, confined as a young woman to look after her father. Yeah forced into sort of indentured labour, really, for the rest of her life. And the only reason that she escapes that is because Francis starts to ask her out to dances Mm. and then is actually quite mean to her and eventually she turns to... To Kip. To Kip. And and that's the love story, the incredible love story of the the honourable son, Kip, Mm. And the beautiful, soft-hearted soul, Annabelle, finding this incredible love, but absolutely through luck. Yes. Sheer luck, really. Yes. It's interesting that luck is, well, not interesting in the sense that it's something to, I think, be mindful of. There is elements of luck in this Yes. in this story and even I've seen some students write about that as a, a kind of a motif of the of the text in the same way that we might say the shilling or the pendant becomes yes. because there's so but good luck and bad luck too I think the two sides of the same coin sorry to use the same <laughs> symbol in a different way but that's interesting interesting too that a story that's so grounded in reality, that's so grounded in a historical period, that's so real, that is based on, we know that, that beautiful story that it's based on a, a fo- that photograph that's on the front that was a real yes. love, two lovers parting on the train. And yet there's that element of the, oh, I don't know, can we call luck the supernatural? No, probably shouldn't. I don't know. What would you What would you term it as? I don't know whether I'd call it supernatural, but I do see what you're, I, I, I can see that there is a kind, well, I would call it grace. I would call it grace. I would call it something that comes in and for a particular, where where authors, so George R.R. Martin, who's written A Song of Ice and Fire and all those novels that have become Game of Thrones, chooses not to save people because they're good people, like chooses to kill off yeah. Because he'd seen all his friends go to Vietnam War and really good people lose their legs and die and so on. So he he is not he's not averse to killing off people really early and so on mm. um, in the book in the books. In this book, which is obviously not a fantasy and obviously in here and now, you're you're actually thinking about 
okay, some characters are so good that life accidentally elevates them and lifts them up. It's a kind of grace that happens. Yes. And it's not necessarily through prayer or being a good person or being a good brother or sister or whatever, but there's that hope and grace that is linked together that also allows the book to explore some very, very dark themes but not get mired in everything is awful and everything is terrible and everything's tragic. Yes. And everyone's poor. And everyone's poor. Yeah, because there I, is hope. Yeah, there's hope. It would be, it'd be quite unrelenting. If you went and lived, if you went to Rowena Parade between 1938 and 1948, I would suggest it would be a very unhappy place to live. Everyone's laundry's out hanging. No one's got heating. Everyone's dirty waters in the in the cobblestone lanes knows everything it's it's kind of nasty and it's sort of it's sort of competitive like people mm. compete to get halfway up the hill and who's going to get this job or which yeah so yeah and i love i love the symbolism of that photo where the actual narrative that jordan decides to 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 sort of create is that connie goes off she's an assistant photographer at the argus and she's saying she's going to see him off under the pretext of taking a photo. Mm. And her brother goes and is, and then she's lifted up on her shoulders and the brother promises not to do anything with the camera but takes the photo. Takes the photo. It's, it's beautiful and it's not revealed for so long. And so that's no. a gorgeous reveal. And I think there's something slightly supernatural in that, Claire, to come back to your point full circle. Yeah. Slightly supernatural in that photograph. Because of the way that it's tied into the historical rich research that Jordan did and has acknowledged in the notes. Yes. And also the, the need to demonstrate to her audience a, a, an era that really has been been buried, like away from our eyes, away. We don't, we don't, we don't know what it's like to pick up a newspaper anymore. No. Know the significance of Bryant and May, a matches company. We we don't understand what what it would be like to only be able to read a newspaper or see a map in sepia, not in black and white. Like such or, a different time. Yeah, and when you walk through Richmond now, it's filled with high rise apartments and so on. It's very like it's still got it's still got remnants. Mm. It's still got structural elements that are very much embedded in the novel. But that whole wave of real estate that's kind of gone through from the late, from 2000s till now has really transformed it into something that's barely recognisable. Like, and the, mm. and the, the London Tavern, it's, it's for groovy people now to have a knockoff drink, like yeah. after work, who work in ad, ad companies and so on. Yeah, it's not, yeah. it's not the watering hole of all the guys who worked in the factories and because yes. that's a reality of what Richmond was. It was very low socioeconomic suburb. In fact, I mean, this is the thing that's maybe for students weird to understand is that all those suburbs that were close to the city were not the not seen as ideal places to live. If it's where any Collingwood and your Carltons and all kind of that around that that band around the city, that was where all the the inverted commas working class lived. Port Melbourne even, yeah. which is so fancy now, the houses are going for millions and millions. But those were the workers' cottages of the guys who literally worked down on the ports, unloading and loading the ships. And it's just, yeah, it's a snapshot into a different time, isn't it? That feels quite long ago but really it wasn't that long ago really in the whole scheme of things but just it feels like a long time ago given the I guess the technological revolution that's happened over the last 30 30 years probably yeah 
Mm, mm. All right, so we do get a little bit of supernatural, a bit of luck. I reckon Grace yeah. Luck, supernatural all coming in there. Mm. I think even 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 in the smallest way, the superstition and the sort of like belief in I don't know magic or the kinds of things that Charlotte believes in, yeah, sort of show up. Yeah, they show up even though she's sort of derided by Alec and Stanzi as being just too silly. But they're but they're there. It always fascinated me too. I mean, when I come in that in that line or in that view of luck, hope, those elements that in the structure of the novel, because I think this is another thing I always encourage my students when they are writing about these texts to discuss the structure, to feel really confident that that is as much evidence as a quote, and you don't have to memorize it, <laughs> you don't memorize it, but that I mean, we we know that we know Connie's fate from far earlier in the novel and that kind of echoes throughout and we're sitting there we don't get her chapter until the end but that that the novel concludes with with Connie saying I can't believe my good fortune everything will be all right and that she's making a reference there to fortune and why does Jordan leave us there when we know that everything isn't all right is it because the love that she had with Jack was pure and good and true and so therefore that's what mattered? I don't think so. There's something really amazing about the way that Jordan constructs the earlier love scene between the two of them because she, she is very assertive in the sense that at those times you would wait for a bloke to be kissing you at the front door of your house, you're going inside, maybe you lean back against the fence a little bit and some a man's got his hand around your waist. And but no, she she and she makes that whole thing kind of happen by yeah. going by going towards him and being nothing, nothing like flirt, flirtatious, nothing, nothing like that, just kind of magically sees that they are heart connected and love connected and feels an ecstasy feels an absolute ecstasy that's that's the words that are used yeah and also feels a desire she feels a desire sorry that she's never really she's never experienced before and i think that that is showing that even though it's tragic she had that mm. how many women did not not went would never acknowledge that in their own body, in their own yeah. heart, in their own mind. How many women of the era just got married to the bloke next door, or the guy at the milk bar, or the someone, someone who said you've got to wear, you've got to marry someone who's working at my stables, or however, or who it, your dad said who you dad should marry, said, you know? yeah, or your boss, for example, like Jean Westaway thinks that she's pregnant initially to her her boss. Yes. So there's just a lot of there's a lot of kind of beauty in. Even though that is a tragic statement, very tragic, the exploration of her stepping into her own desire and her power as a woman in order to say to herself, I'm allowed to have this love, I think that's I think that that vindicates the end the end being sad. I think that liberates us from, oh, it was just so terrible because really if I mean it's really genes. Force Jean actually pressures her to have have the abortion and, and give she doesn't up. want to, does she? No, she wants to have it. She wants to wait. Well, she so believes he'll come back and that that he'll marry her and that it will be okay. She believes the love is real, and it mm. was. It is. 
and is symbolized by the the photo on the cover. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's true love. And how many true love stories were denied over history through respectability or what should be done or a whole range? I mean, that's the trope of many a romance novel, is it not, that you denied the love that you so desire or deserve because something gets in your way that you that is out of your control and it's too big for you to to overcome yeah and we're talking about an era in which men routinely or women would routinely say things like men they're always at you because they would be drunk and they would come home whether you wanted to have physical relations with them or not you were sometimes forced to whether Mm -hmm. not all of the what I what I really love about what Jordan has done is create some very kind men some very devoted men, some very beautiful, beautiful humanistic relationships amongst all the tragedy and the denial and the sadness and the war and the loss that we we kind of can lift ourselves towards and say, well, I think that that's incredible that she chose to give that character an ability to love in that way, however short it was. Yes. And, and that's what we live for. We live for hope. We live for love. We we live for connection. That's really important to acknowledge and I think that's why I don't particularly mind the end of the book but that's just me personally. Yeah, I like that. I like that. I think I feel like I still connect so emotionally with it every time I read it that I end up just in floods of (laughs) floods of tears which is I mean it's problematic when you teach this in the classroom I think and every time (laughs) you go to certain sections but maybe also the, the being a bit older having children of my own it resonates. It hits a little bit harder now than it may, than it may have done ten years ago, and it can be a little bit tricky sometimes. I think asking someone who is sixteen or seventeen to truly empathise and 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 delve into these characters. But like you said, we do have Alex, so it's a good. I like that. It's a good benchmark. I wonder this the, on the topic of the good men in the text. Is this is this an opportunity to talk about Kip, who we really, even though he is. Is he? I mean, the, the the protagonist, the the best one to term the protagonist. I think yeah. we haven't really talked about him at all, which I think is fantastic because it just shows how much the subsidiary characters are, are relevant. But how is it that he is able to be such a good man when his twin brother is not? They've had this. It's this nature or nurture debate, right? They've had the same conditions, the same upbringing. What is it that Kip has? Where, where does his honour come from? Does Jordan that even is, tell us? That is a very good question. And I, all I can say is I think that because Jean Molly coddles Francis and it's her favourite, he's her favourite, he becomes vain. Yeah. And he also, Francis, to put this in context, Francis becomes a little bit, he's got a bit of a self-aggrandizement about himself mm. and he goes off into fantasy territory. He's his mother's favourite. She gives him more more bacon, is it, for breakfast and more, and she's always telling Kip off. Yeah. And I think that Kip just has this innate understanding and a bond with his sister mm. and they are sort of united against the mum and Francis and and they sort of realise that in a way they're more mature than than Jean and Francis. 
And yes. Kip, Kip is the man of the house. He is the man of the house. He will listen to his his mother railing against him and he will with he will take her badgering because he knows that she's sad and mm. lonely and denied her husband. None of this is explicit. It's no. all implied. And the goodness comes from him just setting his setting himself to a task every day, not thinking too much about do I go this way or do I go that way, just doing what he should do for the family every day. Whereas Francis allows himself to be taken off by a gang of boys, thieves, the pendant, and then later is bestowing it upon Annabelle like oh, I'm going to raise her up and, and save her. And uh. he's actually very arrogant and he's actually got a sense of, himself that is fake yes and we know that there's an element of dramatic irony I think in that scene isn't there when Francis is talking because some of the guys have come back from war and they say a few things to him and it gives those hints to the reader that the people around him around Francis know that he maybe isn't who he says he is or he 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 doesn't have the attributes he believes in his fantasy world that he yeah, has telling that uncle frank doesn't marry right yeah well, later on he's a he's a, he's a lovely affable old old uncle but he doesn't he doesn't marry no and no. he loses annabelle because he's absolutely horrible to her i know i'm talking a lot about you've asked me to talk about kip but i think no i think you have to talk about francis too right measure kip's growth and and his stoicness and his steadfastness and his honor when you're looking at the two it is a bit Cain and Abel I mean it's not yeah. they're not evil characters no. one's not an evil character but I think Jordan's chosen to absolutely show characters in a family where there's a deficit of love yeah and how children band together so Kip really bands together with Connie and Connie is the mother figure really here, have another, oh, oh, don't worry, I'll get you another bit of bacon or don't worry, I'll clean up that for you. Or, mm. and, and I think that love, that's why it's so devastating to Kip later to lose lose Connie. Connie. But the love that Connie bestows on Kip makes him a stronger man, makes yes. him a more sensitive person. Yes. Gives him grounding, whereas he sees Jean as just, wow, she's just broken. But it's implied. Again, it's implied. And her brokenness, she transfers her brokenness onto Francis. Oh, he's the best, he's the smartest, he's going to school and so on. But actually Francis is a weaker character. He has a weaker inner character. It does, yeah. It's so, it's so, it's almost that understory that we love, don't we, in Australia? I mean, in lots of fiction, but Australian, this Australian tropes, I think especially, we root for the underdog and we want to see them, see them win, win out. It's interesting that there's two sets of twins too. I mean, obviously that does happen genetically in families, so it's appropriate what what Jordan's done. Most, if you are a twin, sometimes you have a high chance, I think, of having twin children. Yeah. But how different then the Kip and Francis dynamic is to the Charlotte and the Stanzi dynamic and how much Kip's goodness and integrity and honesty has been passed down to his daughters. Yes. And obviously they've parented them in a very different way to how he was parented. Well, God. also you can see, I mean, almost you could almost split those two 
I mean, Charlotte is very much her mother's daughter. Her mother's daughter. She's ethereal, and she's a bit sort of like I don't know. She's always looking for the for symbolic meaning and gesture and and beauty and myth and legend and 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 Stansy's like actually could you put your feet on the ground please so he's very much her, her and the, the the cynicism comes in with Stansy only because she is unhappy and doesn't think that she reflects the both of them like Kip tells her no you're really beautiful you look like your mum like so I think there's some there's some things that go on in that dynamic as well that makes a deficit for Stansy in terms of how she sees herself in the family, at least initially, at least in the opening. Yeah. And also just being a psychologist, like wanting to understand everything and wanting to control everything really because if I can understand what's going on in everyone's psychopathology or whatever, I then I can control it. But actually it makes her unhappier. Well, uh, yeah. Oh, there's so much, right? It's incredible that this text given that it's relatively short, can have so much depth. But like you said, it's because all of these things that we're discussing today, are we, we have extrapolated through reading between the lines and come to these, inter- we're interpreting the text fundamentally in the way that suits a reading that we're presenting, which is something that we want all of our students hopefully to do to not just feel that they have to write what is in a study guide or even write about what we've talked about verbatim today maybe that they hear something that we say and go oh that's interesting I might go back and reread that bit and see if that resonates with me or actually I just fundamentally disagree with what they've said I think that's great that's what I want yeah yeah feel encourage our students to feel confident to make their own decisions about the text and what Jordan is is trying to tell us not just not just read the words on the page and take it too literally Mm. yeah the whole thing with masculinity too being one of the topics that we explored in the text response is to return to Alex's father I think for students wanting to like what it actually means to be an absent father but one who has escaped to Mullumbimby if you've never been to Mullumbimby I mean of course you can look it up but even if you went to Byron Bay 10 years ago you would have a completely different impression now because of influences and Byron Bays and whatever and Mullum is very dropout hippie crystals and chai and weed and rock and rollers and not much money and people who marginalize themselves who don't want to fit into a normal straight society. So that kind of trickles down into the masculinity even of Alec knowing that about his father, but then he's getting this, he's getting somewhat oppressed by his mum, but then he's getting strength from his aunt, and he's, but he's, he's also like very much in development of his own identity through that chapter. And then you've got the influence of his grandfather. He loves his grandfather. That whole chapter is a really... Yeah. A love letter to his grandfather and and yes. find photograph and the the blessings and the symbolism of all of the items that kind of come come and, and are tied up in that chapter also linked to the masculinity of each character of each of the male characters that survive and that impact on each new generation it's true and even that each generation perhaps is just a little just a little bit better than the one before not not 
streaks ahead? Because is, is nicking off to Marlon Beebenby the same as getting drunk in the pub and getting hit by a tram? Like It's that same, it's not exactly the same, but it's that same selfishness, perhaps putting yourself above your family or your obligations and is maybe the hope that Alec won't do that, that he's setting the tone for the new generation, we hope, in, the, in not getting in the car. Like that was his walking out of the tram, deciding to go to Marlon Bimby equivalent moment in the text and his choice to prioritise his family over what he wanted, the, making the selfless, community-based decision over the selfish, hedonistic decision. Yeah. Then suddenly that's made, that's then going to set the rest of his life perhaps in a different trajectory. But also there's little links back to how his grandfather is influencing. Like, yes. There's a lot, there's a line about how it would become clear later why Kip was obsessed with his daughters using protection, contraception. But he doesn't kick her out or deny her when they go over and when they go over to Uncle Frank's house and say, oh, my God, we've got to knock on the door. I've got to tell Dad that Charlotte's pregnant. Yeah. There's no dad around. That could all go an incredibly different way. But the masculinity that what, what we're exploring is the duality of the anima and the animus and different, different kind of things in, in a masculine form that Jordan wants to show us is and are possible beyond the what you would have seen in real life of just men looking drunk and hopeless falling out of the pub when they were depressed about the war or it was post-war or they didn't have enough jobs or whatever it was they didn't have enough money and that yes they're in very poor areas so I love I love how she explores this kind of duality and these kind of possibilities for the evolution of masculinity throughout the novel as well she does I've never thought about it that way that's kind of blown my mind a little bit, but in a really good way. That's why I love doing this so much. So, I mean, because what, what's important, I think, also is that within a feminist reading, you can still talk about the male characters. The feminist reading doesn't just have to focus on feminism is not just about the women. We, it's about the social, I guess, paradigms or social structures that support or deny power, in, in individuals' power I mean, and I who mean, has that power. Arguably, Kip, Kip and Annabelle, they're the kind of archetypes that make everything okay. Mm. <laughs> they're archetypal characters. Yes. They really are. And they're setting the tone, right? Yep. They are setting yes. the tone. Yes. Right? Yes. Moral fibre, tenacity, survival, upholding social values and mores in difficult times. Love. love. How to love someone. How to love someone meaningfully and and how to support a family and yeah yeah and how to be good yeah. a lot of books a lot of novels explore this notion of how to be good and it doesn't mean and in this context when we're back uh, earlier in in the novel how to be good is going to school even if you can't afford it going to church mm. extending to your to the to thy neighbor even if they're protestant or even if they're Catholic, right? Indeed. You know, there's these whole kind of like social tensions and conflicts between groups of people that don't really exist now. I mean, the only thing that you could say to students is, or oh, well, if you think about the way that 
Muslim people are portrayed in the media from yep. time to time. It's, it's improving. It's improving since 9-11. But, you know, like you've got this, and that's the other thing, Alex born in that era and he's, he's coming of age in a period where everything about social values and mores are, are changing rapidly. And earlier it took a lot longer, yep. a lot longer for things to change. Things were embedded in people's ideas of who you were as a human yes. and how to behave and what clothes to wear and how you spoke and what you what subjects you could talk about and what was acceptable and it was a much simpler life you you met people through going to dances at the local church you yeah you went to fates which sort of still exists sort of but yeah it, it's it's a lot of it, it traverses this period and then the last few chapters really tie up in, in that Alec chapter, it really sort of ties up how much change has happened, which is not just like the literal change, yeah. but in the way we think about ourselves now in a secular world without religion and without without things propping us up to say you have to do this to be a good person or exist in, in society. And even dare I say it, well, this may be a problematic statement, but Australia, I think, a modern Australia would like to think that it's a classless society. If we're comparing it to the Australia that Jean Westaway is existing in and that idea of getting halfway up the hill, for all those reasons we talked about with Richmond, that the bottom of the hill is arguably just as nice as the top of the hill in Richmond because Richmond as a whole is a nice suburb. So I think we do still have class structures in Australia. We just, they're not as explicit as they once were. And so all of those things have changed and broken down and recreated. Hmm. So clever what she's done. Yeah. I have such awe and respect for what she has done and how I think also how purposeful everything is. Even the, the order of the characters, the information that she gives, the way that she, like you mentioned before, we build our understanding and she builds her characterization throughout the chapters, not just in the chapter that that character owns, I suppose. That is so deliberate and so purposeful and so considered mm. and so clever, mm. so clever. Entirely. Yeah. For us to be able to have these this level of a conversation for the time that we've had today requires that. So I wonder, does that bring me to my final question, which you have answered, but I think it's still nice to bring it all back together, which is, why do you think this text is important? And by extension, why why is it on the Year 12 text list? I think there's a universality about the themes, issues and ideas that Jordan explores in Nine Days. I, Like I said, you, there are archetypal characters, even though they are very ordinary people. They are not gods. They are not, they are not, they are not mired in mythology. They are very ordinary people, but there are some archetypes in there that really speak to this notion of how to be good, how to be a good person, how to survive, how to survive tragedy, how to survive war, and how to how to succeed in a society that doesn't just give you what you want just because you want it. Mm. I also think that it's it's the VCE text because the depth of understanding and insight. Uh, and the, uh, that we can glean from reading this text and rereading it, it really speaks to the 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 ways in which our society has become more fractured, where once even all it was all much more cohesive, much closer together, and much more visible, and it was very hard to escape. 
your identities were much more fixed, that it, your identities, your identity, your personal identity was hard to escape in the earlier chapters of the of the novel. The yeah. world, the setting, the context, the background, the jobs, the, 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 you know, the ways in which you behave, the, the social places that you belong to no longer exist as in, in the way, in the same way. We're not compelled to go to church any longer. We're not compelled to extend our hand to our neighbour in the same way if we don't want to because of deprivation or rationing or whatever, whatever, whatever it may be. True, and we're not bound we by so many. We don't live as close to our neighbours in the sense that we're not looking over the back fence at people's washing or not washing on the line. Some people would say that if X hadn't, if Mrs Westaway hadn't done the washing on a certain day, there was something wrong. We're not looking at each other in that way anymore. In fact, we can control how people look at us now. That's right. Yeah. So there's a liberation in it. She's showing us that there's a liberation in in how we have evolved, but also that perhaps it's a little bit more lonely and a little bit more separate than it used to be as well. And maybe there's a, a common ground, there's a there's a ground in between that's it's that's better to try and strive for rather than one pole versus the other pole. One yes. area, one side versus the other. Some it's, gray in the middle. Yeah, you know, it's good to have community and have that nexus of everybody all for one and one for all and but perhaps with a little with a little bit more ability to separate ourselves and see see who we are without being in each other's pockets all the time. Yes. Oh, I like that. So the broader intent. You have blown my mind a bit today, Melinda, I'm not going to lie, which I enjoy. It's kind Ooh. of what, yeah, I, I think this is, this is the joy, I think, of the job that we do that, there are so many different readings of a text and I can be sitting here as an English teacher who has engaged with this text for the last, this is the fourth year it's on the text list, it's the fourth and I believe last year, and that we can have chat about this for an hour and I can think, oh, it actually really changed the way I see the text or next time I go into it, I might look at it with renewed, I will look at it, not might, I will look at it with, with renewed meaning. So thank you. Oh, thank you. Very generous. Really Very cool. generous thought of a lot a thought differently in, in in throughout our conversation you've prompted me to think about it in much more sort of diversity and yeah thanks been great oh, pleasure maybe we'll meet again <laughs> i'd like that yeah, thank you thank you so much i hope you enjoyed the episode today if you did get something out of today i'd love for you to support the show by donating a virtual coffee using the link in the show notes or on my instagram bio at teachers talk texts I really love hosting this podcast and I want to continue doing it, but I do need your support. If you don't already follow me at Teachers Talk Tech, definitely do as I post updates about the podcast there, as well as other opportunities to learn more about the text in BC English. See you next time. Bye.